Hello and welcome to Two Nerds Sitting on a Couch, in which two nerds sit on a couch and discuss science fiction and fantasy. The Matrix has you. Wake up. Sheeple. Sheeple. So, I found out really recently that The Matrix had, um, like, a very serious undercurrent of trans themes in it, which hadn't occurred to me at the time, you know, being, whatever, 30 years ago. No, 20 years ago. 20 years ago. I was sort of, you know, just sort of blown away by bullet time. I mean, it was so innovative that the story, while not being secondary, was... I mean, it was definitely, for me, what really captured my imagination about the movie. When I walked out of the theater, I was like, holy crap, he can fly. You know, I mean, like, they did a really great job of building a superhero from scratch that didn't exist before. Um, And then, very quickly after that, it had been co-opted by Columbine wearing trench coat kids. And, and And it turned it, like, into this sort of dark caricature of itself and that was just the beginning of of sort of this this taking from it you know because then then you start in with the the blue pills or you know red the pills, red pillars, the red is pillars what they where call it's them. like you know you you wake up to this reality where you know girls be bitches and right they have chads and and there's all of this whole like incel culture built around the idea that you're waking up and, and i mean the reason the reason for this is this this co-opting of of this story um is because it was magnetic. And the story's dead simple. Like, they don't screw around with a lot of stuff. You know, yeah. it's very much a chosen one. I mean, they literally call him a chosen yeah. one. There's an oracle. Like, the you know. Central, the central theme is belief. He has to believe in himself. Right. And this is, again, I mean, why all of these kind of broken people, like, picked it up and ran with it. And they and there were plenty of those broken people who ran with it in bad directions you know Mm -hmm. i mean like because that's what what we do as broken people is we take this art that's been given to us that we can see this um or see ourselves we went back and watched the matrix the first the first of them which Mm -hmm. was came out in 1999 yeah we watched the first of them you know within the last couple of months because of the because like because both lana and lily have come out as trans since then yeah. I don't remember when, but I, it was like one and then the other. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, it was, again, it was like only recently it was like, duh, of course that's a trans allegory. Yeah, and you go back and you look and it's like Switch is named Switch. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's like, and, and originally it was, I think Switch was supposed to be like a direct trans character, like in the Matrix. The, like a woman the opposite and, gender. Yeah. Um, which, you know. I don't know why they made the decision not to do that, but they weren't ready for that yet. No, and I, and I do think that like the transness of the movie. After watching it again, the transness of the movie is is really subtle. It's not it's not in your face. I mean, once you're looking for it, you can see elements of it. But the movie itself is about like belief in your own power, you know. And and if you think about it, like one of the things that struck me. So we, then we watched the other two, and now we finally watched the latest Matrix Resurrections. Right. Um, the thing that really struck me about the latest one, where we can get into like all of the stuff about that, um, right. but they, they started using mirrors more explicitly as, as portals to get through. Right. When you're, so I, you know, obviously not being trans, I'm talking about the trans experience 
through the lens of, of things that I know, people that I know. Right. Um, but the, the, the mirror in a, in a trans experience is a really problematic concept because what you're seeing um, in a lot of cases is is a is a dysphoric image of yourself right and right. and you see that in the latest movie where you know you see him as this old balding nerd instead of fucking cool Keanu Reeves right, right. and like and that's and that's jarring you know there's this there's this this idea of and and it's from the very very beginning you have this white yeah. rabbit through the looking glass you have all of this like mirror image jabberwocky world stuff going on that is both damaging and affirming you know the other mm -hmm. thing the mirror can do is is be affirming like once you start transitioning the person you see in the mirror is no longer a mismatch of the person you you know inside well i mean they like like they literally create a term for that in the first one which is residual self-image yeah <laughs> that you have a self-image that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with your body yeah. and sometimes those things are the same mm -hmm. and sometimes they're not and I think that this, you know, and, and the, the trans allegory works, but I think it also works because they, they definitely talk about misogyny in the most recent one as well. Yes. Yeah, very much Be, so. Especially, and I think that, well, I'll get back into that later, but, you know, I mean, they, I think... they more explicitly get into incels. Yes. They, which right. Yeah. Which is directly misogynist. Right. But, you know, but I think that that's, that's very true for a lot of women that, like, I mean, this is sort of something that I hear women my age... Uh, joke about a lot where they're like god i wish i had known i was so fucking hot when i was so fucking hot <laughs> like you know i mean like you look at those pictures and you're like jesus christ like i was i was like made out of ballistics gel you know what i mean like i was hot but yeah. but i couldn't none of us could see it because we'd all been you know we i mean trinity even says it in here she's like do i do these things because i've been programmed to or, mm -hmm. you know, like, because society has programmed me to want these things, or do I want them? Yeah. And, like, and I think that that, that can be very true. And that, and not to say that it isn't true for men as well, but I just think that that's a very common, like, people who grow up female, grow up assigned female, mm -hmm. have that experience in their youth. So we just recently watched um, 2 and 3 as well. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that struck me about 2 was the sort of the incorporation of like ghosts and werewolves and vampires and which which I think is really fascinating because it's like I mean the only ones you really see are the ghosts and then there's some vampires who get pr killed pretty quick um but vampires have a thing with mirrors and I'm kind of surprised they didn't explore that a little bit more no, because given yeah. the themes that they have and and the dominance of mirrors as as a thing as a as a you know an object that they use for to metaphorical metaphorical and practical purpose um you know, I mean, I think that that's. I gotta say that that's surprising. That's like, like a really, really good update because when in 1999 there were way more landlines than there were cell phones. <laughs> yeah, well, I remember Dead like serious. when you pulled that cell phone out of the oh FedEx thing god. and it slid open, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's the coolest cell phone! I want one like that." And it wasn't even a flip phone. Like, well, but I mean, and all of that technology that they had was from Asia because the the cell phone companies in the in this in North America were making a bunch of garbage at that point. Yeah, and I mean, this again, this is makes me really really old. But I remember when when the iPhone came out in two thousand seven, and it was this incredibly revolutionary thing. Before that, I had this thing that was called a Pocket PC, which was it wasn't called a PDA. It was, but but the brand was Pocket PC. Oh, okay. Sorry. So it was uh, Windows. It was like vaguely Windows-ish platform, and it had a touch screen with a stylus, and you could you know get it to do whatever. I also had like a, a Palm Pilot, 
Um, I remember that, that had it had a little antenna and you could pay for for data and that was amazing being able to access the internet from your little handheld device mm -hmm. and I was like all they need to do is add a phone to this and it would be perfect mm -hmm. then I could just carry this one thing whatever and that's what Steve Jobs did he married it but then he made it an, an actual touch screen with your fingers and it was revolutionary and now like so you're right I mean we don't have didn't have landlines back then and the, and this latest movie really updated it where the operators are there as virtual holograms like in Quantum Leap Right. You know, where Sam uh, shows up and he's like, mm -hmm. it was Sam, right? Sam was, was the Sam. guy, his the other guy. handler, who just died recently, RIP. Oh, that's totally sad. Anyway, yeah. so, I mean, that update was, I, I thought it was a good one, you know, and then they used the mirrors to, to move in and out because, you know, it's mm -hmm. like 60 years later or whatever, um, which I thought was kind of a cool update, especially because knowing, you know, what the, the mirrors are for and, and how they've used them like and, and the whole through the looking glass idea right. in the first place where right. you're moving into this mirror world like what was the was it like 30 coins that had that there was that one scene in like episode like a later well, it, episode. it wasn't even just a scene it's like they went into the mirror world and then were doing all kinds of crazy stuff in it that was a really it was freaky it was so upsetting and i can't even tell you why because i don't really even think a lot i mean other than some fist fights and stuff i don't think a lot of creepy shit happened to it yeah but it was just so alarming yeah no i mean that's always been like one of my worst like for, for horror movies to do to me is to have the mirror reflect something that's not happening in on this side of the mirror you know yeah. that scares the crap out of me the first time it happened was um, there was this movie and I wish I could track it down and figure out what it was, but it was this like kind of TV movie and there was like this artist colony and they were going to investigate whatever and this woman was like brushing her hair and then her reflection stopped brushing her hair and I was, I was just like so freaked out I had to stop watching, which is probably why I can't remember what it was, <laughs> you know, and, and this, this has come up in other, in other movies where like the reflection does different things and, like you know, and it freaks you out because it's like, this is. This is now like I'm not like my my connection to reality is that the mirror is a mirror image, right. and when it isn't anymore, that's the my experience of dysphoria. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's horrifying. Yeah, you know. So the second movie is um, you meet the Merovingian, and there's an awful lot of side quests involving the keymaster and and, and doors that go between the... you know I mean between worlds. But the the Merovingian kind of outlines the basic. Um, non-action uh, philosophy of the film, which is talking right. about cause and effect. Like what he what he's saying is that is that in a, it is a deterministic world. Like we're living in right. a simulation, and that when you do stuff, they have like every action has its consequences. Um, which you know, and then he proves that by going off and sleeping with some random chippy, and then his wife, you know, betrays him. Betrays him um, for you know, his betrayal of her, you know, and, and he, and he is, he's like, why would you do this to me? You know, I know. Sort of like, yeah, I mean, this is exactly what, you know, Honestly, how, how that, how that works. You know? I feel like the second movie is kind of a waste of time. It's all it really just, is. it's all just set up for the second movie. But and they, they like... did like the CGI in it with the, with the ghosts was pretty good. I mean, the, and, and they managed to like keep the bullet time thing moving forward, which I thought was nice because by the third movie, which was, a little over CGI'd and they didn't really they didn't really do bullet time again. I mean, I don't well, know if it's too expensive or what, or they just did everything in CGI, but it was kind of a low budget 
Well, away. but I, well, except that I mean, I thought that there there is a bulletin scene where those all the Agent Smiths are attacking um, Neo in the second one, and it's completely toy boat. It's so bad. Yeah. I mean, the third one they use rain for that, and it's and it's just sort of fake looking, and you're just like whatever. But in the third one, so the third Wait, one. Let, let me just oh. finish though. Is that like the only the only good thing about the second one, or the thing that I really appreciate about the second one, is the Merovingian. The guy who yeah. plays him is so like smarmy and like yeah. he completely knows what movie he's in and kind of nobody else does oh yeah and he does it he does it really well he's too, great you know i mean and, and it, it introduces the idea of these rogue programs that yeah that are not under some sort of central computer control mm-hmm. that are kind of living their own lives and having a having a black market and smuggling things or whatever mm-hmm. um but then you then you have the the third movie where you have the um, now you suddenly have this this train station and the train master who can get you in between the the computer world and the and the matrix world, um, and then I mean Neo starts to realize that he has this direct control in the real world over machines, and this is where you could start to wonder if like maybe the matrix itself is a simulation. Or, or the the real world is a simulation, and the matrix is a simulation. Well, within they begin the to they begin to blur the binary, and that's yeah. and that's something that I mean, that's where it begins to blur the binary, and the most recent one is where they completely take the binary and twist it into a fucking pretzel. Yeah, but uh, so the the third movie, like the the dominant philosophical themes, I thought were were just incredible. Incredibly badly done. I mean, like, like <laughs> the, the whole thing was about belief, and it was about. I mean, like, and and very ham handedly, um, it was it was about, um, you know, because you you kind of have these the, like there's these three captains at one point. There's like Morpheus who is the believer, mm-hmm. and then you have Niobe who is kind of an agnostic, and then you have mm-hmm. the other guy. I can't even remember his name because he was totally throwaway, um, and he was the ardent atheist. He did not believe in it Neo. Was like Cooper like, that or Neo something. Neo was the one and whatever. Um, but really what it boiled down to was, do we have free will? And, and, it, and they, they talked a lot about like with, with the Oracle, because it's like, if you, if you can see the future, then, and, and this is even in the first movie, like what'll really bake your noodle is, would you have broken it if I hadn't said anything? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, which, but that was talking about like more of the cause and effect of it. The third movie really gets into the, the idea of free will, the religion concept well, they... of free will. Like, what is it, what does it mean to live in a deterministic world. If you're living in a in a simulation, can you have free will? And like, what shape does that even take? And so in the final fight, like Agent Smith is like, why do you keep getting up? And Neo's like, because I choose to. And it's like, so he's asserting his free will. He is firmly saying that I live in a, in a, in a non-deterministic world mm-hmm. and now I'm just going to punch fight you to death. And yeah, it was kind of unsatisfying on a philosophical level because they, you know, I just, I don't buy it. And I don't agree with the, the, the philosophical underpinnings that they're building here. Um, but then you get to the fourth movie. And... Well, let me just, let, okay. let me just say a couple things about the third one before we pell-mell pelt on to the fourth <laughs> yeah. one. I mean, I don't want to spend a lot of time on two and three because no, we I did just I don't see either, the fourth one. But I just... It's actually really I just, groundbreakingly I st- different from the other one. I still think I have some things to say about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so just one thing is that this gets repeated a lot in two and three, that it's not just about belief and, and, and determinism versus whatever is that there's a certain element of um, like chaos versus order. Yeah. Where, I mean, we discussed this where the, the, I mean, it seems really um, 
counterintuitive, but the Oracle is an agent of chaos. Right. Um, and that, Because she can see the future, she's actively working to, um, right. you know, uh, not working against what she sees, but she's trying to use what she sees to fight the order of the architect. Right. And that so and she's understood as the mother of the Matrix and the architect is the father of the Matrix. And mm-hmm. so he's order and she's chaos. And they've been kind of locked in a dialectic, um, which I think is and it's kind of cool like i don't know if you've ever read any of the wayward children books Mm -hmm. but um it's basically like all of the kids who end up in portal fantasies and then get ejected back onto earth end up at a at a like reform school basically (laughs) like because their parents don't know what to do with them after they've been living in you know whatever Mm -hmm. and so there's like a taxonomy of these various portal worlds that these kids live in and one there's like high chaos and then there's high order Mm -hmm. And fairy worlds, which seem completely bonkers to me, are um, high order because fairies are unbelievably rule bound. Oh, yeah, they're legalistic. I mean, you may not like how they interpret the rules, right? Exactly, they follow them, right? And so, that's so. And I and I always really like that taxonomy because I was like, it looks like it's order or it looks chaotic. But it's completely not. Right. They're like the Gawachin from the Saudi experiment. <laughs> right. you know? I mean, it's like all about the legal system and rule bound. But you like what they love nothing more than to create new law. Right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I just there, there's that element. Well, and that, that that's does get, going like, on in the background. It, it, that, that recurs and then gets fleshed out in the fourth one, because, I mean, the architect is dressed all in white. He, he talks about balancing equations. It's right. all about like the variables and and, yep. and balancing them. And the, and the oracle talks about that too. You know, I mean, he he he's just looking for balance, which kind of puts her at this um, at the other end of that spectrum. Like she's not necessarily looking for imbalance, but she's looking for um, life. She's looking for um, you know free will. Right? She's looking for choice. But she's also looking for your gut check because that's another thing that gets said a lot is like, you already know what your choice is. Yeah. You're just here to find out the why. You're just trying to figure (laughs) out why you're doing it. Yeah. Which is something that, I mean, this is a pet theory of yours and less or so of mine, which is that, you know, like there's all kinds of decisions like the choice to have children, which on some level is. Uh, biologically programmed mm-hmm. and that after the fact then you make up the reasons for right. it <laughs> and you know yeah that's my whole left brain right brain thing where it's right. like you know your left brain is rationalizing what the right brain is doing right and they are both you it's just that the left brain is the one that imagines itself to be conscious <laughs> and and it and it's like well i meant to do that you yeah know? no and and i and i really think i mean because i think the, the second one is kind of a waste of time but the third <laughs> the third matrix movie even though a lot of it is infuriating to me mm-hmm. um like i think that you know it starts playing with those ideas in a way that i think is satisfying Mm-hmm. That's what the oracle is for. Is is that it's like yes, you already know the answer, but there's this there. It's deeper than what you you think it is, and that can often change what that answer is completely. You right, know where it's right. like it turns out that like Neo at that point like he really only believed he was the one because of Morpheus, and by the end of the trilogy, like he still doesn't believe he's the one. But now all of a sudden, he he believes that he's something because he knows he can control machines with his mind. Well, like, there's obviously I mean, he's or, got something going right. on. Right, he's like, know? well, I'm not the one, but like, if I don't do this, everything goes to shit. You know, like, right, like, and, yeah, but I, but I do know what I have to do, regardless mm-hmm. of whether the oracle saw it or not. You know, mm-hmm. 
Well, and also, I mean, I think I think Morpheus's like understanding of the universe is a little more deterministic than than. Um, he goes on blind faith, though. He's he's. That's that, what I, that's what I'm saying, yeah. though. Is it like that's that's not the the chosen one? That's not their fate. Yeah. You know well, what I mean? and if he's like his his ability to process cognitive dissonance is amazing. Just like you know, I mean, you ha- you have to if you're just like a right? true believer. He'll just he'll take new evidence and. Like it'll he'll he'll just filter it through his framework, and it's like whatever the oracle said was for you to hear. Right. Well, and also, I mean, there are points when it's like, you know, he'll be like, he'll like be in some council, be like, blah blah blah, and it's Larry Fishburne, and like, kind of he can say anything, and you're like, oh yeah, you're yeah. totally right. Um, gravitas. Gravitas. <laughs> Man, it's just made out of gravitas. Anyway, so he'll come in and say blah blah some nonsense, and everybody like people will start rolling their eyes and you're like oh my god they're right that's all nonsense yeah, you know what i mean there's a lot level... so good that it's convincing yeah no i mean i i think actually there are points when it's played really really well yeah okay so yeah that's the thing i think that ultimately i really loved about this latest movie mm-hmm. was that they they play with that convention and when it starts i mean there was a moment there where i'm like this is really stupid you know i mean because the first chunk of this le- the last movie was i mean it's like neo is a interactive he's the best interactive video game designer yeah. ever and it turns out the first three matrix movies were the video games that he built yep. and like we're so now we're, we're getting like and they this have sort the of same meta plot. view yeah and they talk about it in terms of like well now they want a matrix four game and so they talk about the three matrix movies in this really meta way because you're watching the fourth matrix movie and right. it and turns up it, it all into this sort of meta joke which at first was jarring and i was like oh god are they really gonna do this because this is kind of stupid yeah and then and i can see why like it generated a lot of negative reviews because people were like this movie is stupid or whatever but it got sort of funny at a certain point you know like it invented a lot of humor so. and that really runs against the grain of what those first movies were doing there was no humor like, very little like the, the humor that was there was was like i don't know it was really stark it was really like you know i mean neo's wearing a trench coat unironically kicking ass with kung fu right. i mean and this is like small they're, ta- bits, they're making but... jokes like the the place they go have coffee is called simulate yeah you know which is like <laughs> it's just this kind of goofy weird shit but i think it was intentional because like we, and, and one of the first things i think we had we talked of about course it, was, it was intentional was that um it's they're they are this movie is angry furious that, so angry that 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 the incels took the concept of the red pill and no. applied it to like misogynistic ends. Mm-hmm. They're they are angry that this thing that originally was kind of talking about it like a transgender experience mm-hmm. is has been completely bastardized mm-hmm. into into this sort of like kind of action porn revenge fantasy bullshit, you know, mm-hmm. like where you've got, you know, chads and whatever. And so like, you know, Trinity is now named Tiffany and she's like this mom and her husband's mm-hmm. name is Chad, is who shows up and Chad. strong arms her out of there, right? You know, and and like you know, so and Neo what is little she says like, about their relationship, he sounds like just an unbelievable fucking tool. Yeah, I mean, it's just sort of like, oh, oh my god, what have you done? And I think that part of the reason they had to do that was because they uh, just she because it's only one it's, of the it's just it's just Lana um, Lily. I don't know why. She didn't want to be involved. Yeah, well, and I was kind of thinking at the beginning of the movie, I was like, well, this is what, you know, the Beatles would be with, without John Lennon, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like, the two of them seem to have, like, a really good working relationship, whatever, whichever one was Lennon, the other one was McCartney, you know. <laughs> but it turns out that, like, I think that this this was actually 
pretty well done um, anyway. You know, I mean, I, I think that it has the right feel for what they ended up needing it to do. It just had to start with this sort of really jarring teardown of the whole thing. You had to, like, tear it all yeah. on the ground, yeah, yeah. make it into this goofy, like, you know, I mean, Neo is now this programmer, and he's just an average person. It's set in modern-day Schlubville, yeah. and... And it's sad, you know, I mean, and his, his friend is totally an incel and it's like this, this sort of nasty, jarring thing and there's nothing special about the world. Mm -mm. And, and that sort of feels really like sandpaper when you're looking for another Matrix movie, you know, and it's well, like, especially... even though I kept bitching about like the second one with their like cave rave orgy scenes where yeah. you're just sort of like this, this is gratuitous, cave you know, and so rave. like, you know, and then to have this be this sort of like, you know, here's, here's this like programmer guy who's awkward and can't even talk to this chick that he like weirdly wrote into his video game series mm -hmm. like a stalker well okay but like stalker aside like i mean i think that that's that's another big like theme of that early section which is comic which is a funny mm -hmm. choice but i i actually super dig it is that <laughs> they're constantly talking about like how how much of you was in the it was you know when they're talking to keanu when they're mm -hmm. talking to neo they're like, how much of you is in this story? And he's like, well, you know, a fair amount, actually. Yeah, because he's struggling with psychosis. I mean, he has hallucinations. Which are memories. That, yeah, which end up with him. And what we find out later, he like he jumps off of buildings and kills himself. And like they have, yeah. to, they have to patch him back together. Right. Because, I mean, they, they I mean, that's, right. you know, I mean, what, whatever they're doing needs to have him alive but it's it's creating this horrible psychosis in him. right but so um oh fuck i don't remember where i was going with this now it's so sad was it about incels and chad no it wasn't it was oh. something else oh just just i mean obviously like you know neo ends up being the the writer insert because there is a level on which i mean that and that's where the fury comes from yeah is that you know lana and lily wrote in their you know, however coded it was, their trans experience into the story. And, I mean, we're, we're sort of putting a lot of weight on that. But, I mean, it's extremely overtly 100% about how capitalism destroys all. Yeah. It ruins <laughs> fucking everything. And yeah. it's a bunch of fascism. And they hate it. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's, that's, that's you know. That's explicit in like, that section. Well, it's explicit in the first movie. It's explicit in the next two movies. Yeah. Like, all like you know, the fact that right. fascists have co-opted it pisses... <laughs> pisses them off yeah you know and and like i think that that just sort of needs to be said <laughs> like yeah it no, is totally. also about the fucking horrors of fascism and capitalism right. but then so uh, the, the really funny thing is the movie starts with with um basically a recreation almost shot for shot of the first movie mm -hmm. and except with with differences enough that you're like what the hell is going on? And it turns out that it's this thing called a modal, which is this little loop that is um, kind of like an AI training to, to try and get it to to do certain things. Um, and that's where we meet Bugs, the main character. Mm -hmm. That's where we sort of see some of their new technology and we sort of understand that they're watching this the same way we would watch it. Um, but then it also sort of makes it real that it's like, you know, so what's going on with, with Mr. Anderson? Why is he in this real world with his boss who is... Basically, Agent right. Smith. They do, and it is really clever the way they, like, I mean. And, and Neil Patrick Harris, who's his shrink. Oh, my God. Neil Patrick <laughs> Which is Harris funny is because so I saw him and I was good. like, oh, my God, that guy wants to be Neil Patrick Harris so bad. And you're like, that is him. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't recognize him because he wasn't being an asshole yet. 
that's true because the, the more the movie he's went on, unbelievably, I was like, oh, yeah, that's he's totally go- unbelievably good at being like the arch mm-hmm. asshole. Anyway, so at one point he actually eats an apple. Literally, like, yeah. Only assholes eat apples no, in movies. It's totally true. So. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say that that opening sequence, I mean, I was like, oh, my God, I kind of love how this is just like fan service mm-hmm. up the butt. But also but, like, with a with a knife in it, because it's like the name of the whatever the, the hotel is like the, something like Mayor Derby or something. It's like, you know, for, for when you want to eat shit or whatever. On the, on the, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is this whole thing is just sort of like everything are these little. Right. Like poking fun at itself daggers of like we're making fun of this first movie. Right. And then they pop into but the thing where it's like, oh, he's a video game designer. But it's not just making fun of it. It's like, okay, we're going to give you some fan service. Then we're, which is how we showed you how all of this Matrix bullshit worked with mm-hmm. the landlines and the cell phones and, even talk and the about jacking bullet time. in. What do we need to do? We need like yeah, more bullet, bullet time. time. Right. But so they do Our all that. Our parent company, Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers. <laughs> said they're making oh a fourth movie. But then they, but then, you know, so they do all that, which is just fan service and the rest mm-hmm. of it. But at the same time, they then give you how this new iteration works. You know, now it's mirrors and doorways and, mm-hmm. you know, all of these other things. This is how it functions. This is who is the, like, I mean, it's relatively compact storytelling when you get right down to it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there is definitely some, like, expository, like, oh, conversation that happens. But, like, yeah, I mean, they, they do fairly quickly. They talk about the differences and it's like, you mm-hmm. know, so so they do, like, they, they manage to attract, um, Tom's attention. <laughs> which is just funny that they're calling him Tom now because it's like, oh, okay. And and they did do it on purpose and I can see why people would get turned off because I was turned off by that whole section. It bugged the shit out of me to see this sort of bastardization of it. But that was on purpose. Mm-hmm. They had to do that to show you like what had happened for real, you know, like yeah. so but they they were also kind of toying with this idea of of reality. Like if it's a simulation, would you even know it? Like if it's a, like why couldn't you know, you, like, in the Matrix or in the real world, you know, like, once you're popped out, why couldn't that still be a simulation? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of evidence for it being. Does it change anything? To right. Be, to, you know, I mean, does it change anything about how you feel about you? Right. Does, it, it, cha- does it change the meaning you know? of your life? Does it change the, you know, your, the emotions you feel about yeah. the people I mean, that are like, around it's you? It's like string theory. It's like, yeah, it all works and it's internally self-consistent. But really, who gives a shit? You know, I mean, like, what does it do? It doesn't do anything, you well, know? So, not, like, it kind of just doesn't matter. You well, know? I mean, it's like, not testable, yeah, okay. so that's why it's really not. Right, but I mean, that's, matter. I mean, you could say the same about religion, you know? Like, what does it do for you, you know? I mean, like, that's, the, the whole the whole kind of um, arc of the series has been sort of talking about free will, choice, whatever, and now all of a sudden they're talking about real, the nature of reality. Yeah. You know, if you're having hallucinations, like, and they're very, very real, you know, I mean, at what point? And at what point, I was like, "Oh, I mean, this is going to turn into Total Recall now, where it's like, no, no, I've been inserted into this thing, and and like, I need to bring you back out because you're in a coma right now." And then the guy sweats, right? And so he shoots him because it's like, I mean, if he was really not worried about it, he wouldn't be sweating, right? Or I mean, or the movie Bliss, which kind of deliberately, oh, yeah. deliberately riffed on this whole concept of being like, "Are you in a?" some electron are you in reality like and the choice to remain in the shitty one versus the possibly beautiful one because you know pain is more real or something or like that's a really complicated movie it really is it was really good though but yeah I mean that's exactly it they were messing with that whole idea of like well why wouldn't you why wouldn't you pick 
the the more comfortable reality. And and the and the truth is in this movie they're they're kind of painting this sort of like famous interactive game designer reality as a comfortable one for him. Like he's yeah. obviously he's been in it for sixty years and well right? or whatever. I mean it's been sixty years, um, but he's he's living in this reality and it's comfortable. I mean they yeah. managed to like the architect who is you know. Spoiler alert, Neil Patrick Harris. It's just so funny. He does such no, no, a great no, 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 job. No, 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 they it. don't call him the architect. He's the analyst. The analyst, I'm sorry, right. He's the analyst because he is literally the therapist. You know, he's he's an he's yeah. an analyst, right? But the idea is that he's replaced the architect as the motivator. You know, he he's gone to he calls them the suits, which I think is great. Um he's gone to the powers that be in the in the world and he said, you know, if we can get Neo and Trinity together but not too close together. Like the conflict that that the inner conflict that they generate is enough to power everything. I mean, like that that makes the whole matrix way more powerful, you know. So they're giving up on the whole like physics thing, and and that's fine. Let's give up on it. Let's talk about like how if you're living in a simulation that generates like energy from people mm-hmm. and their lives, mm-hmm. if you can like force them to live these really shitty lives and in, in like this. Total capitalist oppression mm-hmm. where they, they believe that they deserve more. They're working for more, but they will never get there. And that just makes them work harder. And you can extract all kinds of energy out of them. Right. Which, which I just think is like, oh my God, you guys, you're making me feel bad about yeah. my life's choices. Well, but, but do I, mean, I have any choice, let, really? No, but let's, well, let's just back up just a little bit. and, t- and t- <laughs> Like, because this is another, this is another theme that mm-hmm. is very strong in the most recent Matrix is that it is about storytelling itself. They do that yeah. over and over and over again. Yeah. Like not I mean, just... they get very meta about it at first, which Absolutely. makes it a completely different movie from the other ones. Absolutely. So, you know, like it's not just storytelling on like a, a like a, you know, like like let's talk about the, you know, hero quest and the monomyth and the <laughs> right. whatever blah blah blah. Yeah. I mean, storytelling in the sense of cultural storytelling, social storytelling, the stories that we tell ourselves, the stories that are told to us on mm-hmm. larger We're like, and well, small, why are we telling these various stories? fractal levels, not personal, mm-hmm. uh, familial, global, you know, historical, like they're, they're like that. It, so it's not just storytelling in a like sort of jerk off, like, like, let me like, I'm going to write about a writer who writes, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Because that's, that is on one level what's going on here. Right. Yeah. I'm gonna write about a writer who writes. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's just that. Yeah. You know, like it is it is more complicated than that. And I think it's it's not actually badly done. No, no, it's not. I mean, once you get what they're doing and you can like sort of live. We keep saying the te- they but yeah. She okay, fine. No, 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 that's not true because it is it's Lana and then two other writers. Right, yeah, yeah. So but, it I is mean there they. is a they, it's just not the Wachowskis, it's right. It's anyway, Wachowski but, plus two. Yeah, <laughs> but I think you have to you have to like grind through that first part where they tear down the first three movies because you can't make this movie without tearing down the first three movies yeah. and starting from a new baseline. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and they managed to pull it off, I think, in the end because the Matrix is real. It's like I mean, you have that whole scene from Galaxy Quest where it's like, no, no, it's all real. I knew it. I you knew know? it. <laughs> And then, and then they 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 actually have the matrix as it was. You know, it's just it's later in time in the real world, right? And whether it's a simulation or not in the real world is you know an yeah open whatever. Um, but but the the reality is that it is it is the same world. It's just that they had to they had to jar you out of thinking this was just going to be another cave rave orgy movie. Mm-hmm. 
and a, and a punch fest. I mean, it is a punch fest. There's a lot of punching. Um, Although there's but a they lot, don't do anything new. There's no like new bullet time. They, they're like you know they have this whole like stopping time thing where it's like you know haha now I'm gonna walk around like the Flash and like poke things and like do funny stuff and and quip while I've slowed time down for everybody. I, I thought that that was actually kind of a really great like making fun of themselves thing. Like like the yeah. like they did they did like bullet time ended up being like which it had been his secret weapon turned into the thing that was turned against him. Yeah, no, and it's which, it, which is which is funny, I'm but fine I think with that. that it's like ultimately as um, what made the first movie special was this mm-hmm. innovation of CGI coupled with just an amazing amount of style. I mean, that yeah. whole movie just dripped with style, and they just sort of kept doing that in, in the other two, you know. And so this movie like doesn't introduce anything new. It's not. It's not. I mean, there's definitely some style in it, but it's not, it's, it's more, there's more tongue in cheek. It takes itself a little less seriously. It's a little more irreverent. And I, I think that that's, it's fine because it's like the movie itself isn't going to reinvent the genre the way the first one did. Right. This is a fourth, this is a fourth movie in the series. What fourth movie has ever been better than any of the other movies in the series? None of them. Right. I mean, like how was the Godfather four? Pretty awesome. There huh? never was one. <laughs> no, I know, but I mean, it, it's like once you're that far into the fourth diehard like... movie is better than the third. Okay, fine. Oh, better than that's the, the exception second. that proves the rule, though. Um, but but what I'm saying though is that it, it's like they had to they had to start over. Mm-hmm. This is a completely different movie, and obviously it's a lot later. You know, I mean, it's set mm-hmm. a lot later. Everybody's a lot older, although Carrie Ann Moss sure does. Oh not my age. god, I would just like to say I mean, Keanu doesn't either, really. But he doesn't age, but Carrie Ann Moss so fucking good yeah like she is like she's just got it's like she's been captured in a a bubble she's got like crystalline fetal juice bone structure or something like she even possibly looks better than she looked when she was young because she's sharper now i don't know i was just i mean and the camera's in love with her face and i was like that's right you just keep that camera right on her because Mm -hmm. i'm in love with her face yeah oh my god but anyway i mean they completely i mean they create a new a, a new movie i mm-hmm. mean this is a this is a different movie mm-hmm. and it's it's uh the the beginning part where they're very meta about it helps you um even though i know this is kind of primarily the reason why people were really turned off because it felt like yeah it felt like a punch in the face for all of the matrix fans who were looking for more matrix fan service which there's plenty of Matrix Which is fans hilarious because it's like, movie. it's I mean, like, yeah, I mean, you said the, this the earlier. The comes back at one point as a homeless guy, <laughs> which is just amazing. And, he, and then he starts yelling about the, the like, the, the post-movie, like, sequel series. Yes. You know, like Marvel's been doing with, like, WandaVision yeah. and yes. Loki and whatever. And, like, I I guarantee you they're going to come out with a Merovingian series. And, and I would watch, watch the, the shit out of, out of that. It's oh, my God. It's amazing to see him as a homeless person trying to, like, gain his power back. <laughs> Because, it, like, everything he had is gone. He can't even, like, Ugh. be French without being kind of funny and stupid. And his, like, cussing has gotten completely insane. I just love it. Yeah. I mean, like, I love he, it. he's, like, a parody of himself. And it's just, like, oh, oh man. Because he was he was a delight of, of the second movie. Yeah, that actor. I feel like I don't, I can't think of other things he's been in. He was in look one other up. thing that I recognized him from. Um, that we had, he had we we'd seen it recently, and and I was like, oh my god, he's in this, oh, whatever. So I'll have yeah. to look that up. But um, yeah, he's he's just a I, I love him with his little his little like pouty his, mouth that his speaks French face so well. and his little dimples. I don't know. I just yeah. <laughs> but as a homeless guy, it's just sort of like oh, oh my, my god. god, yeah. Like way to just take that character and like throw him 
in the trash, literally. <laughs> like, I can't wait. I can't wait for the sequel series. No, I no, mean, it's me neither. Be awesome. I can't know? even stand it. Yeah. But I love it that they set it up that way in in a really in the middle of a fight scene. That's his whole. The whole fight scene was him bitching about how yeah. he's like gonna be in a sequel. God damn it! <laughs> I'm gonna be in the sequel. So we just, I mean, today <laughs> we watched the second two Matrix movies mm-hmm. and then the fourth. Yep. And one of the things I said after the two and three revolutions and reboot, other way around. Reloaded and reboot. <laughs> that would be hilarious, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be. Um, but yeah, so Matrix Reloaded, Matrix Revolutions. Um, I thought in the first Matrix movie, like I've this is just I've said this so many times it's like boring, but like I believe that one of the failures of like a lot of both sex scenes and action scenes, physical scenes mm-hmm. is that um they need to be doing storytelling. Work. Oh yeah. Like yep. Like the the fight or the fuck has to move it along emotionally or right. whatever. And if it's not doing that, it's just gratuitous. Well, or I mean, it, it can be it can be a fun scene, yeah. But it's just not it's just not good writing, right? And so, you know, I mean, I thought that the the first movie did that very seamlessly, and that's part of the reason that it was so just kind of intense is that like all of those fight scenes had like emotional subtext to them and they had you know i mean like like the the classic example would be the 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 final lightsaber battle between um Darth Vader not final yeah final in the in the second movie in yeah, empire in, in empire the final lightsaber battle between Luke and Darth Vader where you know the reveal of the parentage is going on at the same time as this fight Mm-hmm. with you know and and it and that and that's why it's perfect yeah it's a perfect fight scene yeah and like you know and there's some and there's some of that in the matrix where you have you know like the the first i mean you brought this up like the first fight scene between neo and um morpheus when they're in the construct mm-hmm. like you know it's doing work yeah, I mean that's where that's where um, the the whole point of that fight wasn't to test Neo; it was to show him mm-hmm. that he could exceed his pre like his his own preconceived capabilities mm-hmm. in the Matrix. Like he was more than what he thought he was. Right, and Do you think that's air you're breathing, right? You know? hmm. Um, yeah, and so it's it's a very good, and you know, I mean, and it and it works in the story. Like, oh my god, Morpheus is fighting Neo because there's also this other layer. Yeah, I mean, they add an enormous know? amount of excitement to it, and it's just like, I mean, that whole thing is just thrilling. I mean, that's some brilliant filmmaking. Right, you know, I just love it. Right, but and but yeah, but like so, but and a lot of the fight scenes are like that. The yeah. fight scene with agents. There are several fight scenes with Agent Smith, and they push the relationship along between Smith and Neo like that. Mm-hmm. Like they all go on and and two and three, kind of not so much. Like there is a lot less um, meaning behind those fight scenes. Like yeah. they just don't because like I mean, perform you have, the same way. At, at, like near the near the middleish end, the beginning of the third act, you have Agent Smith beating the crap out of Morpheus in a bathroom, and yeah. and that whole fight scene. Is is where Agent Smith tries to break Morpheus, and the whole point of Morpheus being there 
is to just delay Agent Smith long enough to get Neo out because he believes that Neo is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. You know, and and that so I mean for him like emotionally it's like he's getting beat down but he wins. Right. Like he like wins being, that being fight wins. even though he gets beaten to a pulp and captured. Right. Like he he did what he said he he set out to do which I think is a really kind of a cool way of turning a fight scene on its head, you know, mm -hmm. that it's this really cool thing. But yeah, in the second movie it's like you have a really cool highway chase scene that is, is really just we're trying to to like it's a quest you know where we've got the side it, quest where we're taking the keymaster from one place to another and trying to escape and these ghosts are chasing us and and some cool things look like cool looking things happen but there's, there's no, no I mean it's just you're protecting a guy there's no emotional in a quest. there's I mean, no emotional not, subtext to that at all at yeah. all at all I mean all. I, I feel like the the emotional subtext all happened in things where you know in in more the the like the philosophical scenes where where the Merovingian is talking about cause and effect and the direct effect of of his actions is to have Persephone like go show them where the keymaster is you mm -hmm. know so it's like and break him out and and I think that that like for the for the the way that the arc of the story goes it's like that's actually more interesting than than the fight scenes because the fight scenes yeah. just were were sort of cool looking you know and in the third one it was like it's mostly just like how many agent smiths like because we already had like one agent smith yes but now we've got like a whole world full of agent smiths <laughs> yeah, how we can make it bigger like add more agent smiths you know like yeah it's totally like it gets really what does that do you know and it's and it's <laughs> the the dumb thing is that the the last the final scene the final fight mm -hmm. of the third movie if the whole point of it is is why do you keep getting up because I have free will, right? Like mm -hmm. that's it, it's supposed to be saying right. I have free will and that's why right. I win. The fight doesn't do that. Okay. They have to say that, mm -hmm. you know, and like. And <laughs> so, I think so. What good does the I, fight do? And I think that that's ultimately like like the you know everybody's got kind of writing ticks, and I think yeah. that like in the in the first Matrix, for whatever reason, they managed to like pull back on their tendency towards um, over-philosophizing mm -hmm. and info-dumping. Yeah, like I mean, they, they had a lot of symbolism show up. Like, it was room, you know, 101 and 303 to kind of represent Neo and Trinity. Right. There's, yep. a, there's a lot of, of little symbolism that they yep. threw in there where, that just didn't really exist in the other movies. Right. But, yeah, so, like, you know, but because, they, like, when you get to the second and third movie, it's like they have to kind of one-up themselves and then... It's just there's so much fucking info dumping and there's so yeah. much like just kind of dumb, high ass philosophizing. But again, I mean, this is a direct result of Warner Brothers taking this first movie that they'd spent all of this time thinking about and then all of this time executing. Mm -hmm. Warner Brothers takes a chance on it and it's a huge success. And they're like, now you need to crank out two more. Mm -hmm. You're under contract or we'll do it for you. Yeah, you know? I mean, like that's yeah. the problem with those movies, and that's kind of what this fourth movie addresses. Yeah, is exactly yeah, that right. where it's like they had a, an awful lot of time to think about what they were going to do yep. and be deliberate about it, and they yep. were very deliberate about it. In so far as tearing the the whole franchise apart at the be at the very beginning of the movie, like they they rip it down and they but to, they to floorboards and they and they continue to because that's that's the other thing because they. They replay that scene with the red and the blue pill early, 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 yeah. and that comes and that and that goes. And you even pointed it out at one point. You're like, "Oh, she's one of the blue pills," and I was like, "Because she has blue hair." But she's not though. Well, like that was 
no, she ended up not being. But Neil Patrick Harris's glasses are very, very blue. No, I know, but that, but that's one of the things that they. I mean, they even say it out loud a couple of times where they're like, the binary is uh, is not the. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the binary his, is not real. Right. That's your game problem. Is called binary. Right. You know, because they're talking about, which is not just like, you know, the, the like binary genders. Although that's, I'm sure that's a piece of it. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, we're trying to be non-binary here. We're trying to break the idea that there is a good and evil. And in fact, like they team up with Agent Smith, like who is Satan. I mean, he is literally coded as Satan in the first movies. Well, Satan in the original sense, like the, like Lucifer who L- fell like, from right. heaven. He's a, he's a fallen angel. Yeah. In the yep. first movie, like that's his fall from from grace. Yep. Like he takes off his connection to the to the world. He gets destroyed by Neo in a way that that rebuilds him with free will. And yeah. now all of a sudden, he right. fights against God. Right. And God casts him out. Now yeah. he's an exile, and it's like <laughs> right. literally. I mean, this is in the story. He yep. is he is Lucifer, and so you know to have him come back and in this fourth movie just sort of be. A character, well, I mean, yeah, he's got free will, but who, that's not the point. You know, the point right. is, like, you're you're kind of messing, you're blurring all of these these otherwise binary things that they had been very careful to do, but this movie is tearing them apart in a way that sort of says, well, wh- you know, why can't we just be what we are? Why can't we, you know, instead of right. like having these binaries, why can't you just like have the situation be what it is? Like, yes, because it's not as much as like humans good machines bad like now there's yeah. all of these now there's all like these machines fuzzy machines <laughs> well I'm, well but they were even you know that was even occurring in the second and third film like we are introduced to mm-hmm. you know like programs who are like you know we are all created for a purpose if we don't fulfill that purpose we are destroyed yeah and and you know and that's, I mean, the, and that's... The, the, the scene of the of the train station is that there is this there is this little little girl yep who is a program that doesn't have a purpose and it turns out she can do some really cool things with sunrises and sunsets and whatever adding beauty to the world mm-hmm. and that is a purpose as it turns out but whatever it's not one the machines care about it's aesthetic right. well i know. mean that, i mean because that that is the capitalist critique right it's yeah. like if you're not useful for capitalism you're no good for anything and so right. and there's all kinds of shit out there that are good for people that aren't good for the bottom line yeah um and that's and that and you know not to overstate but well no anyway. but i mean i think that 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 sort of is a central theme of this movie is 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 the mm-hmm. idea that like you know capitalism wears you down i mean they're really explicit about it at one point where you just you feel it and you're just sort of like oh my god what am i doing with my life mm-hmm. why aren't i like what you know if you were if you only had six months to live what would you want to do in that six months and why don't you spend the next six months doing that stuff anyway mm-hmm. what are you waiting for mm-hmm. you know i mean like why are you allowing yourself to be in this indentured servitude, if there's anything you can do about it. And I think this really resonates with like millennials on down where like, mm-hmm. boomers were kind of raised in this traditionalist, like company loyalty work, you know, your, your 40 hours a week and, and more, you know, if you're, you know, you really want to like prove that you're valuable mm-hmm. because your, your worth was your job. Um, but then, I mean, companies, don't really care who you are they'll lay you off and they'll just be you know it's not personal it's just business but at the same time these movies are the acknowledgement the the entire system is designed to keep you down yeah no you I know what because I, I mean because like, I mean, that's that's something that you know you like kind him of... flying at the end of the first movie is that rejection of the constraints that we're all under you mm-hmm. know it's just sort of not as explicit as in this last movie where it's just like 
Mm. Ooh, wow, boy, that was hard, you know? I mean, yeah. like, and they got very meta about it, and that's the only way you can do that. And it's it really was a hammer at a certain point where you're just like, man, you guys could make this a little more subtle. Although, you know what? I mean, I was thinking about it as it was happening where I was like, poof. I mean, this is, there's no way to misinterpret this. And then I was like, oh, yeah. right. Because yeah. the first one. Yeah, you ended up with a bunch of red pill incels. Yeah. And it <laughs> was like. like Columbine. I mean. Misappropriating your movie. I can totally understand. I can complete, like it is, that mo- this movie is completely legible to me as just the furious rejection of of all of that fucking trash. Yeah, no, and like I mean, even up to where you know the, the, so she ends up kicking the jaw off of the analyst. The way she talked about kicking the jaw off of Chad, her mm-hmm. husband, mm-hmm. which is you know, I mean, it she is rejecting this life that the analyst has has forced her into. Well, this and sort the of fact- like you know, kids, and she talks about that explicitly. Like it's like you know, you have you have kids and and you get married because it's like what you're told to do. And why, why do we do that? Because you're young when you decide to go into enormous amount of debt for some career that you don't necessarily know when you're 18 that you're going to mm-hmm. want to be doing even in two years, let alone 20. Right. So why, like, why do we do these things that we're told to do without really knowing what, what we want to do? And like, is that a really a choice? Like what, what makes us do that? Like just because we're young? And actually, I mean, in that scene where, especially when she kicked his jaw, because like, that's like obviously a metaphor, like for shutting him up. Mm -hmm. Um, But the fact that she says, um, and the fact that you use children, I was like, oh, this is going after anti-choice people. Oh, yeah. Like, that's what, like, you are, you, you are using pregnancy to, you know what I mean? For enforced pregnancy is, is something that um, abusers use. And that sort of speaks to the uh, the misogyny in the yeah. system, you know, because well, he... the manipulation of it, because it's, I mean, that gets right to, to her whole thing of like, who made that choice then really? Was it my parents? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was it society? Was it biology? Right. You know, like, why am I rationalizing a choice that I don't agree with? How can I extract myself? And there's a whole sunk cost fallacy right. in, in this whole movie where it's like, you've got what you have and you're mm-hmm. terrified of losing what little you have. Mm. by by trying to reach out and get more mm-hmm. you know and you're being taunted every day by the fact that you're not reaching out for more because mm-hmm. you're just terrified of losing what little you have and every day it's less and less yeah yeah no i mean it's it's pretty wild i mean and yeah. i also like i don't want to be like sound like i'm being like un uncritical of it because like i i do recognize that there's some issues with this movie in terms of like it definitely was a lot more irreverent and loose. And yeah. I think that, I mean, I do think that that was intentional. And I think that it was like, I, I think that's why, why like a lot of people are, are, are criticizing it. And I mean, and I was at first, I was all ready to hate this movie. And the movie turned me around by the end of it because I was like, oh, what you were doing was really meta. You are, you are breaking this fourth wall for us because mm-hmm. you are being purposeful about and it. incredibly clear yeah yeah you can't you can't mistake this for anything but like <laughs> a condemnation of the people who have co-opted this series mm-hmm. including warner brothers mm-hmm. you know like it's not just the incel red pills the mm-hmm. you know columbine killers it's also warner brothers who has well, co-opted this right and and like I mean, which is just ironic because Warner Brothers is going to be making money hand over fist. 
anyway. Right. <laughs> like, that's the part that it's like you're still in the system. You're still plugged into the Matrix here. Well, and I think that, but I mean, I think that the, the acknowledgement of that is is pretty strong in the film. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when Neo and Trinity show up at the end to, and I just, I, I really love the sort of, um, you know, that Trinity ends up being the one at the end. Yeah, where she's like, she learns she's to fly. She's the one who's learning to fly. And she, and like, there's a really kind of beautiful, like, kind of, I mean, I was always a little iffy on their relationship, although I did appreciate, especially in the second, third ones, that, I mean, he's very much a Christ figure, right? Yeah. I mean, the but two, I mean, the whole two, first movie is like her being like, I love you and that's my purpose. Right. Yeah. But, but I've, I've, I thought it was kind of cool in the later ones that she, like, that they're super, like, they're super hot for each other mm-hmm. in a way that, like, acknowledges that, like their bodies are important it's not Mm -hmm. it's not platonic but also that he needs her just as much as you know she needs him yeah like you know it's yeah it's very balances out that first movie yeah no it's totally good but then finally in this movie it's like he's actually kind of a you know he's lost his mojo and they talk about they literally use the word mojo (laughs) like he's lost his his mojo and like and she finds mojo and it's like you know i mean it kind of gets to the whole thing of the um that Star Wars totally fucked up in their in all of their later movies where they were trying to say at one point that the the force like anyone can cook right mm-hmm. anyone could could be a, a user of the force a master of the force and we all have that within us let's mm-hmm. forget about midichlorians for a second because that never happened and by but by the end they were like oh no just kidding it's bloodlines and like the, you know the whole idea that 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 being the one you know there isn't a one Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's we we all have that potential within us to to grow and to evolve and to mm-hmm. become something mm-hmm. more than we were to, to more than we thought we could be you know and that like I don't know I mean I think that that's that's like a, a, a I mean it's really a hopeful message for a movie that is so brutally pessimistic mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I mean it's just, it's just it like a... it almost hurts at certain points where you're watching this and you're just like Ugh. I'm watching this and somehow this is adding money to Warner Brothers bottom line mm-hmm. yeah and, and I hate I hate it and and <laughs> the movie acknowledges that that's going on because you know Morpheus is in this like and it starts as kind of like a Morpheus Agent Smith blend and it's mm-hmm. it's just some guy who doesn't even look like Morpheus, and he tries to talk like Morpheus, and it comes out funny. And that's kind of a running gag throughout the whole movie, where it's like he he tries to sound like Morpheus with the gravitas of Morpheus, and it just comes out sounding really stupid. And, and then it makes he, you realize how stupid it is. And then he cracks a joke about it. <laughs> yeah, like, I actually thought his character was hilarious. It was really funny. I mean, was... I, I did like the way that they kind of treated you know, so you could have you could have these artificial intelligences in the real world mm-hmm. as just these collection of, of sentient ball bearings that look like people, you know, mm-hmm. and, and can interact with the real world in addition to the machines. This themselves. is part of the blurring the binary, right? That you have, yeah. it's not, it's people, it's um, uh, like machines. And then it's these, these trans characters. Yeah. Because they talked about how it's not just humans against machines anymore. There was a machine civil war at one point. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when you start having, you start realizing that it's like, we're, you know, we're not enemies we're all just sort of sentient. And this this actually was, was something that was really fascinating to me is the idea of sentience because they don't talk about artificial intelligence in this movie. They talk about, they call them like synthience where they, they want a different name than other than, because the, the problem with artificial intelligence is the word artificial. It's, it's, it's not 
as strong as the first Matrix movie. No, it's not but possible. It's, it's not even in. It's almost not even in the same category. It's not in, in the same universe. It's, right. It's a completely different style, tone, everything. I mean, I mean, this is something you said earlier, but like the you know the the first one, they put a lot of thought into, right? Mm-hmm. And then also just at, by pure dumb luck would have it, they also managed to just completely capture the late 90s like it is mm-hmm. it is definitely like the pinnacle of that kind of film before 9-11 yeah changes everything because right? i mean we, we've been watching a lot of blade as well where yeah you know a lot of that stuff you're looking at it and you're like oh my god they stole this from the matrix yeah. or the matrix stole it from them but they're all marinating in the same, in the same juice and i think yeah. that they did the best job of it yeah, no, absolutely. So there's that. And then the next, and as you said, like the next two are just like, uh, you know, kind of more of a smash and grab, you right. know, like <laughs> you hear, we're going to throw a bunch of money at you, make another and that's, two movies. that's true of uh, like, a, I mean, um, writing works the same way. Yep. You, you get your first book out there and you've spent years and years on it. Yep. And then they're like, okay, it was a huge success. Write the next two. Yep. No, right. So then, but then this one is interesting because it's, they've had another 20 years <laughs> Yep. to fucking marinate in it and yeah. and for the and for everything to move on like i thought it was kind of interesting so in the second second one well they even introduced this in the matrix where it's like oh you know a deja vu is a, a glitch in the matrix or whatever right yeah. and then in the next one they're like oh you know like ghosties and and uh vampires and werewolves or whatever are all they're assimilating know. anomalies. Yeah, of they're right. Exiles or pre, pre yeah previous iterations or yeah. whatever. <laughs> Old code. Old code. Yeah. So in this one, I thought the sort of operative metaphor that I kept seeing in places was the zombie. Which, oh yeah. Which I you know horror. because there's there's a scene where they're on a train like there's this there's this thing they call the swarm, where it's not just Agent Smiths anymore. It's literally anybody can. Um, they just is, become. They just already are. Yeah. And then they activate, and then they attack you in groups. Yeah. And like, you know, like which the the idea is that they're not actually people, right? Right. They're they're not connected to the matrix. They're just NPCs. In yeah. The world. Right. But um. Anyway, I thought because like there's a scene on a train where I was like, oh, this is huge like trade in Busan energy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like huge trade in Busan energy, and then yeah. and then later, like in a way that it wasn't Snowpiercer energy, which was also fighting on a train. It was definitely zombie flavored. No, no, it was no, it was totally zombie flavored. And then um, and then and then the later scenes when they have this sort of mega swarm when they're in the city, mm-hmm. like that. I mean, I was like, this this feels like the footage I saw of 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 Portland, of Minneapolis, of yeah, of well, they even threw in some nine eleven there with the people launching themselves out of skyscrapers oh, God, to try yeah. and stop them, and it's like the just, I mean, you you watch these bodies hit the pavement, and you know they're digital, and they make sure that there's not there's no blood, it's just little green green digital matrix, bits, you know, or whatever, yeah. but it was still horrifying. It was pretty you know? horrifying, but I just thought, I mean, I thought as like an operating, um, I mean, obviously, I have a whole wheelhouse about zombies, and I can go on at length. Yep, but. Uh, one of the things I've said about zombies constantly because I believe it is that zombies are about the construction of society yeah, and that they are also about like the Athenian mob versus the Spartan um, like troops troop, you know, like the, and, and you can put whatever weight you want on either one of those, whether you think those are good or bad because, or how much you like to use the word sheeple or right. Right. Because that's the other thing is that like, like, I mean, 
you know wake up sheeple right we we discussed this at length when we watched that stupid cell movie but like the whole concept of like the internet swarm and the you know like all of that you know i think works with this film yeah. and that's why they sort of keep invoking zombie films and that concept is that but it also they are ties talking into, about like, society and then they're also talking about the way people act like fucking programs right or or yeah i mean like but but directly it's the it's the corporations that are giving us the phones to be zombies i mean they, mm -hmm. they are you know they talk about social media in a very direct way in this movie mm -hmm. in that way mm -hmm. and and like marshalling we like we're kind of joking in the middle of the movie where it's like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna stick my you know ten thousand followers at you which yeah. you know we've had happen to us before where somebody stick their followers on us and it was just i mean it was like it ended up being a little just irritating at the time, but it, it felt bad, you know, to have like random people on the internet call you a big fat asshole for yeah. not because they didn't really understand what the real story was, and that's how it always happens. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. and yep. it's just sort of like, oh my god, what a block, 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 and then it goes away and it's fine, but it's just right. like, good lord, I mean, <laughs> fucking sheeple are dangerous. People don't realize that there are other real people with real feelings being really affected by the dumb shit they say. Yeah, although counterpoint, there's plenty of people who absolutely recognize how much damage they're doing and they don't care. Sure, but I think that most people, most people do care. Like most humans, right. like on a biological level, no, are I... wired to give a shit. No, no, we no. are communal, we're societal, I'm... we're not antisocial, you know? And I think that, like, I mean, I will give most people the benefit of the doubt. But that said, I think the type of person who's going to spout off at you without knowing anything about anything and just wants to be angry on the internet probably doesn't care right well i was gonna say because it like i agree the mass majority of people are totally fine but a, a dedicated group of people who are not totally fine um can do a lot of damage in the world especially yeah. when they get together no i mean, I mean it's like the sad puppies the, the whole i thing was where just you about the... to bring that up oh, i mean well go ahead yeah this is your wheelhouse. This is, yeah. Well, which is just, you know, the, the Hugos are, uh, you know, voted on by a group of people. It The group of people are people who go to Worldcon. You can also buy a membership into the Worldcon thing. That's So it's not a lot of people, yeah. actually, that spend that money. So it's maybe, I don't know. I, I actually it's read it. It's not more than, what, two, 200,000, maybe? Oh, my God. No. I mean. 500,000? 2,000? 10,000? I mean, you're. It is not the, even that high. Hmm. It is. It is a small number of people, because I read this article once by a guy. It was just a. It was just a fan nerd who is also like math nerd. <laughs> Seriously, and yeah, so he's I mean, like, I feel like a lot of them are is all. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. God bless our hearts. That's what we love. So, yeah. so he went through the whole thing, and it was like, this is how many people, and I mean, it was in the article, and it. And I remember it being like 5,000. It wasn't that many. Yeah, it didn't take many bad actors to turn it. And and he determined through his, he's like taking all of these as factors. Like, I think it was, it was something like 40 people. 40 people acting in lockstep because, so, okay. So this is the problem is that like the Hugos are, at, you know, so all of these people are nominating who they think should be, who should win. Right. Right. So then, so it's individualistic, right? Mm -hmm. So all of these people just vote for whomever they think is best, mm -hmm. except a, a group of people, you know, somewhere between 40 and 120 mm -hmm. um, got together 
and they uh, made slates where it was like these are the these are the twenty people you should nominate. Mm-hmm. These are the twenty people you know, and then once the nomination passes, you know that's all that got on there mm-hmm. because if you have you know. Because they set the agenda by having a determined enough minority. Right. Because, like, everyone else is voting for... I mean, there's literally hundreds, thousands of stories posted in a year. So if you have 40 people voting for the same five, Mm -hmm. that's a huge chunk compared to everyone else making their own decisions, right? Here's the thing that blows my mind. Why haven't the larger publishers done this on purpose before? Well, because I don't think that they necessarily... um, I mean, they generally treat fandoms like piggy banks that they can shake money out of. They haven't yeah. thought about in I mean, terms of I'm gaming just, those and systems. And I don't want to give them any ideas, but like they have an enormous amount of marketing power on their side. And I, I know that they they push a lot of the marketing onto the authors themselves, but they do have certain things that they they have they have their own agendas for what they want to sell and how they want to sell it. Yeah. If they just put a little bit of their marketing money into it, they could totally skew the Hugos. I think the experience for most right most writers is that they all have day jobs. Oh, you know, word. because you're not going to make a money you're not going to make money as a writer no, no, in no. general. No, and no, no. I think that's true of any kind of passion thing or any anything that that involves um, an enormous amount of skill that or creativity you know you're not going to make a lot of money at it in general unless you are exceptional at it well and to bring bring this back around to the matrix movies Mm -hmm. i think that that's one of the one of the main critiques of capitalism that's going on in there is the fact that all of these writers have to have day jobs and all of these artists have you know what i mean are you know you have to pump out products because you can't create art and the, the, right. the tension. Well, and it's so much easier to just pump out the thing that you did before that paid a lot. Yes, yes. Or do that more only louder. Yeah. What's What's better than bullet time? I mean, they literally have that conversation in yeah. that movie. Yes, you yes. Know, like Matrix Four is about how they made Matrix Four, which I actually like. Now looking back on it, I'm like that thrills the shit out of me as yeah. a Gen Xer. No, like, that's because right. that's exactly the sort of thing I want to see is like a movie talking about itself. Only being kind of serious about it, you know. I mean, like, and they, then kind of not like both. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, I actually really like that you pointed out that it's sort of an extra movie because I feel like it kind of is an extra movie. Well, I mean, look at when the original one came out, you know. Yeah, no, right? Because that's about when we would have been like we were in our mid twenties. Yeah, you know? we we were hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! High five! High five. <laughs> Thank you.